Welcome to the Kettle Call Podcast. In the career call of the month, I had the pleasure to call my former PhD and master's advisor, a great friend, and a person who has influenced and still having a great influence in my professional and personal life. So I called Dr. Tara Felix, an assistant professor and beef extension specialist at Penn State University. Dr. Felix shared a lot of nice stories about her career, going from Florida, Ohio, Illinois, and also a time that she spent in Russia during her undergrad. At the end, she left us with a lot of great top tips to think about career and life as well. So stay tuned and enjoy the call. Hello, Tara. Hello, Pedro. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call, Pedro. Awesome. Let's go ahead and ask you two simple questions. And after that, you can say whatever you want to. So where you're from and what do you do? So I currently reside in State College, Pennsylvania, which is smack dab in the middle of Pennsylvania. I grew up in Venango County, Pennsylvania, so in the northwest corner of Pennsylvania in a, in a tiny town of about 5,000 people. So I had the opportunity to come back to Pennsylvania about five years ago, where I resumed the position as the Penn State Extension Beef Specialist. That's really good. So Tara, one of the, the other, one of the first questions, the way that I like to get started with this is growing up in Pennsylvania, how did you end up in working in agriculture? How did you decide to work in agriculture? And maybe more specifically, how did you end up in working with cattle? Great question. I began my quote unquote career in agriculture at a very young age. Where I grew up in Venango County, my dad was a nurse and my mom was the farmer. And my mom taught me from the time I could walk how to milk goats, how to how to raise chickens, how to how to breed rabbits. That was our our farm. And so I always I, I always enjoyed animals as a kid. I always enjoyed working on the farm with my mom. But being from a very small, very rural area, I thought if you wanted to work with animals, you had to be a veterinarian. So from the time I was knee high to a grasshopper, I told everybody I was going to be a veterinarian and I was going to go to school and study biology so that I could go to vet school. And then between my junior and senior year of high school, Penn State had a program, Pennsylvania had a program at that time funded by the governor of our state called the Agricultural School of it's now called the Agricultural School of Excellence. It was Pennsylvania Governor's School for Agriculture when I went through the program. And that program changed my whole outlook on, on school and what I could do with a degree in agriculture. That program permitted me to come to Penn State for five weeks out of the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, take college classes, work with researchers on campus, and really dig into what it meant to be an animal scientist and not just a veterinarian. This was important for me. I was a first-generation college kid. My folks weren't interested in agriculture other than what it meant to produce food for, for five kids back on the farm and, and didn't know that programs specific to animal science existed. So that's how I really got started. And then... I, I decided to come to Penn State as a result of that program. I decided to get my bachelor's degree from Penn State, but I still didn't know exactly what I was going to do. I still didn't know how far I could go uh, in this world of being an animal scientist. So I started as a, a pre-vet major. Then I took beef production with Dr. Erskine Cash, and that was my sophomore year of college. And I knew then that I only wanted to work with beef cattle. I went in and I told my pre-vet advisor at the time that was Dr. Lester Grau, I told I told Dr. Grau, I said, Dr. Grau, I, I started this career as a veterinarian, started this path as a veterinarian, but I only want to be a veterinarian for beef cattle. And he said, well, Tara, there's there's one of those in the country and, and you're probably not going to be him. And I said, OK. 
um, he said, why don't, why don't you check out grad school programs? So I did. And the rest, as they say, is history. That was some of the best advice that I ever got from Dr. Grau to go on and study nutrition was really built my entire career. And, and I owe that to him. Pretty good story that I've heard this before. And it's really amazing how things change and how our path can change from just getting a mentor and guiding you from a different perspective. And when you're thinking about going to school before that, so this opportunity that led you to go to Penn State, I assume Penn State was only option for you to go to, to school, right? Or you it had wasn't. Any... I had other options. Okay. So um, actually, much to my father's dismay, I had a four-year scholarship to a small private school to study uh -huh. biology close to I home. See. And instead, I, choose the, I chose the expensive public school. <laughs> But, you know, my parents were very supportive. They understood at that point what it meant to me to, to have a little independence. Penn State allowed me to, to move a little bit farther away from home. And they understood the change and why I made that choice. And I think it's a testament to a parent's love, right, to mm -hmm. say, It's okay to not focus so much on the cost and instead focus on what you want your future to be. It's okay to make changes in your life. I think, um, you know, I was really worried when I went home and told my parents, I decided I wasn't going to be a veterinarian. They had, they had supported me for the last 22 years of my life in this, this singular goal And to go home and tell them instead I was going to go get a PhD in beef cattle nutrition, nobody even knew what that meant. Nobody understood what that was, right? But they were okay with that. They were okay with that change and, and supported me in that endeavor. It's good. And I think you were really, let's say, strong and had the courage to go back. And, and I, I know one story that you had during your undergrad that you also lived in Russia for a little bit, right? Yeah. How, How, yes. how was that and how, how do you think that built you on your career, like taking the, let's say, being proactive and, and living outside of the country and, and stay far from your family? How, how was that experience? Well, it was cold, Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I showed up in, in Russia uh, shortly after the new year in January oh and it was, it was really cold. Um, so I spent six months in, in Moscow. Yeah. And, and it was one of the greatest experiences, uh, of my life at that time. Um, I thought I was going just because it was a convenient international experience. And I knew I wanted to travel. I wanted to go away at that time. Penn state had a program where if you spent a semester abroad in Russia, you got a minor in international agriculture. So fall semester, I took Russian language courses. By the way, you cannot learn Russian in one semester. <laughs> I am a testament to that. <laughs> um, But with, with what little language I did have, um, I ventured abroad anyway. And it was a really eye-opening experience. You know, growing up in Pennsylvania and then going to school in Pennsylvania, my views on the world were somewhat limited. And it wasn't until I began to, to travel and to expand that I started to really understand some of the hardships that other people face that I take for granted, being a U.S. citizen and, and living in a fairly prosperous country. Um, some of the technologies, like, like the ability to flip on a light switch and know that it's going to work, that I take for granted. We didn't have a washing machine when we were there. We washed all of our clothes for six months in a bathtub. And, and let me tell you, that'll give you a new appreciation for <laughs> the conveniences of modern living. 
that we take for granted every day. But as a person, I think it really, it really helped me to grow. We went with a small group of American students, there were eight or nine of us in our liaison, our, our person that spoke Russian well, so that at least mm -hmm. we could get started at the grocery store and things. And we were a very different group demographically. We had two ranch kids from Montana. We had a, a kind of a hipster from Penn State that joined <laughs> us for the, the experience of backpacking through Russia and, and just a whole mix of kids that wanted to see the world. And together we realized what it, it kind of took to, to make Uh, to build relationships, to make a community in a place that was unknown to us, uh, and to make friends in a place that was unknown to us. We had a cohort of Russian students that went through courses with us, and we really became close friends. Uh, they were all female, interestingly uh -huh. enough, and we really became close friends with those girls to the point where we would go to their summer dachas and, and enjoy uh, enjoy time in their homes with their families. That's awesome. So then you, you came back to Penn State, graduated, and you went down to Florida, right? To get your master's there. How was Correct. the decision to go into Florida for a master's degree? And, and you can also tell us how do you decide to go to the PhD after that? So this is another uh, great question because it speaks to the, the, the idea of not being afraid of change. There were a lot of um, a lot of times in my life when I really didn't know exactly what I was doing or why I was doing it. <laughs> um, and and that sounds strange. That sounds like, oh, my gosh, you should have everything so well planned out. And you're a faculty member. You didn't know from day one you were going to be a faculty member. I had no idea. I had no idea I was going to be a faculty member when I began college eons ago. When I applied for my, a master's program, actually, um, I had just taken an AI program. Uh, I had to, had to breed, breed old dairy cows and, and learn, learn the techniques. And, and I loved it. I thought, this is great. I love breeding cows. So I applied for a reproduction program at University of Florida with Dr. Alan Ely, actually. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Ely emailed me and he said, I'm really looking for a PhD student, Tara. I'm not willing to take on a, a master's student. Is it okay if I pass your CV around to some other colleagues in the department? And I thought, eh, what the heck? And, and he, so Dr. Ely did that. And I ended up working with Dr. Lee McDowell, who's a nutritionist. When Dr. McDowell called me and said, hey, I don't have a repro program, but I'm studying trace minerals. Are you interested at all in minerals? I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm interested in minerals. I've never had a class in minerals. The only introduction that I had in minerals was, was general nutrition for animals, you know? But I had such a good conversation with Dr. McDowell. He He thoroughly explained the concept of the program that he was trying to do. He was trying to solve an environmental issue that overlapped with an agricultural issue, which was really has been kind of a side passion of mine, really an interest of mine. And it sounded really neat. He was easy to talk to. And I knew he would be a good mentor because of that, because he he was willing to have a long discussion with me to answer all the questions that I had and really describe the project well. When I got there uh, to do my master's degree, I showed up and uh, literally the day I entered the department, somebody said, are you going to Dr. McDowell's retirement party? <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, my advisor's retiring. What am I going to do? He's going to leave me. I just came all this way to Florida. And he never left. He, he retired, but he's still there. 
there. He's still there working. Mm -hmm. And he was a phenomenal mentor. I, I walked into his office that first day and he handed me the sheep NRC and he said, you need to formulate six rations. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I, I knew how to do math. And ultimately, I think that's that's what made nutrition the right decision for me. I knew I knew how to do the math. It was logical to me. I can't memorize hormone pathways. I'm terrible at it. I've tried um, to this day. I can't memorize hormone pathways, but I know how to do math and I understand the logic of nutrition. And so Dr. McDowell giving me that start, I think, was really the push uh, down the nutrition path. When it came to, to deciding a PhD, I was a little bit more thoughtful about it by that point in my career. I understood the process of grad school mm -hmm. a little bit better, which is part of the reason that I try not to be so hard on incoming master's students. You know, I was mm -hmm. there once. I understand that I, you don't always have it all figured out at that stage of the game. You don't always have the right words to describe why you want to get a master's degree. Well, I'm glad that you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking from experience, yes. you know this to be true. Yes. But but when I got my PhD, I was I understood better my passion for the research. I really enjoyed my master's program. I really enjoyed um, the laboratory detail uh, of my master's program. I spent a lot of time in the lab analyzing every mineral from just about every tissue of the body. And that fascinated me. It was amazing. And I knew that research was an avenue that I wanted to continue to pursue because of that. So when I started looking for a PhD program, I knew I wanted to work with beef cattle. My program with Dr. McDowell was great, but we used sheep as a model and I didn't want to use sheep as a model anymore. I wanted to, to actually work with the cattle themselves. And I knew that I wanted to work with growing animals, the physiology and the way that nutrition interacts with the physiology of growing animals just fascinated me. And I enjoyed reading papers about it. And as I was reading those papers, two names kept coming up consistently at that time, Dr. Matt Poor, North Carolina, and uh, Dr. Steve Lurch at Ohio State. I contacted both of them to find out more about their programs. Dr. Poor had a very interesting program with growing cattle that was predominantly pasture-based at the time. He was looking at supplementation on pasture for growing cattle. And then I contacted uh, Dr. Lurch and Dr. Lurch was doing more on the, the rumen side in his, in his history and his publications. He had done some rumen metabolism work. He had done a lot of work with uh, transitioning calves into the feedlot and growing cattle. So ultimately I, I drove up to Worcester and visited with Dr. Lurch about his program. And I knew it would be a great fit. I knew from the start, he would be a phenomenal mentor. And when I left that visit, he said, I don't have funding for you. There's no funding for my program right now, but I think we'll, we'll work well together and I'm going to try and get the funding. And he did. And so I ended up at Ohio State, despite my blue and white blood, <laughs> I ended up at the Ohio State University for my PhD. <laughs> That's an amazing story. And like you said, the rest is, is history, like everything that happened. So you finished grad school and then you decided to go to, to academia. I would say that. I don't know if you if you had that in, in your mind right after. It but was it was a conscious choice, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you spent a couple of years in Illinois and now you're back to Penn State. It's also amazing to come back to your home school to be a professor there. So can you tell more about your current job? What are the things that you do as a beef specialist in the state of Pennsylvania? What are the things that you like to do? What is the favorite thing about your job? And maybe the least favorite thing about, about your work uh, when your grad students are not giving you a lot of hard time. 
Uh, <laughs> can, can you tell us more about your, your current job, the things that you do today? Well, quite frankly, I have the best job in the world. And I think that should be everybody's goal to be able to say that. You know, countless writers over time, Mark Twain and, and others have said, it's not work if you love what you're doing, right? And I'm paraphrasing. But that's really true. And finding something that excites you so that you want to get up and go to work every day is a great thing. I enjoyed my research position at Illinois, but it was no longer exciting me. I was I was doing similar things every single day. In my position as an extension agent, every day is different. I remember a About three, four months after I took the job in Penn State Extension, I had an opportunity to sit down and have a beer with Dr. Dan Loy, uh, one of my extension idols from Iowa State. And I said, Dr. Loy, I, boy, this job is, is hard. I said, is, I have this PhD and I, I've done all this great research and, and I find Extension really challenging. And he said, Tara, I will share with you the first year of my career, every phone call I got was a literature review. And he said, that's it. Every day is going to be different. There will still be times when you have to go back and dig up answers. But he said, that's one of the really fun things. And he wasn't wrong. That's one of the really fun things is that now in my role in extension, I'm I'm learning new things every single day, uh, whether it's a weird genetic disorder that somebody calls about or or whether it's uh, digging deeper into the nutrition. You know, coming back from the Midwest, I'm no longer just feeding corn and distiller's grains. I'm feeding bakery waste and chocolate chips and, and cookies and corn chips and everything else. So we are the junk food capital of the world in Pennsylvania, and we use those byproducts broadly in cattle. So at its core, the thing that makes my job really cool is my extension job is really a service position. My job is to help farmers be successful. And, and to have that part, to, to be able to have that impact on somebody else's well-being, on their financial success, on the ability of their farm to stay in business and, and become a legacy for the next generation, um, that's, that's definitely where it's at. That's the best part. I was, let's say, uh, lucky to be able to follow you in, in some of, of your travels. And, and we always had fun and, and was great to do it and everything. Is there anything that you face as a, as a challenge, especially now during COVID, maybe? Was that hard for you? Is there any, anything that you, that you think that was a challenge? And things that you've learned and you know today that maybe you wouldn't do if, if you were starting today? So I think the challenge is coming from coming from a position where I was so singularly focused on grain feeding, finishing cattle, and my feedlot career. I, I love the feedlot. I have a passion for the feedlot. And I do think that's that is the way we're going to feed the world. But one of the, the challenges starting out was there are a number of niche producers in Pennsylvania folks raising low-line low Angus for grass-finished beef programs, selling a lot of freezer beef in Pennsylvania, sold direct into uh, larger cities, and uh, just because of our proximity. And that, I think, being open to discussing the challenges on those farms, as much as I enjoyed talking about the challenges in the feedlot, was probably a personal challenge for me. And I have to admit that. Now, just this week, I got a call, interestingly enough, from Illinois about grass-finished uh, show cattle and how to, how to grow these, these grass-finished show cattle. And it was a very good conversation. We had a conversation about the hierarchy of nutrient use, about 
uh, about nutrients and, and providing nutrients in grams per day versus thinking of them as just grass or, or just alfalfa pellet. And those kinds of conversations can be had regardless of a producer's personal choices and can be really good and fruitful conversations. In the midst of COVID, one of the most challenging things is that extension is about relationships and relationships are a lot easier in person. It's very hard to read somebody's body language through uh, a phone call. I'll give another story. I just went down last week and sorted off a load of uh, a load of cattle with the producer and I had to get permission to go in person to to do that farm visit. And when I talked to this producer first time, I gave him the line we're supposed to give uh, our COVID line. Would you be uh, willing to do this meeting virtually with me? And he said, how the heck are you going to pick out cattle virtually? And I said, <laughs> well, you have a very solid point, sir. Um, and that was back in March and and I've been back to the farm since and we've we've just developed I think a good relationship loading out his first load of cattle together we were able to go through you know he's first time cattle producer he's got he's got a young kid that's that's hopefully going to grow up and take over the farm someday and having that one-on-one interaction where we could really engage and really talk about frame size and structure and and what it meant what what those cattle would do hanging on the rail was a really fruitful conversation and and some of the conversations that I've missed in the midst of of the pandemic. Yeah, I agree with you. And and one thing that I I can see that that you you do really well and and I think it's a crucial point for an extension is communication, right? You we have that's to That's absolutely right. to be able to communicate and and find ways to communicate and and that's something that not always we learn in school. I like I say I was glad that I had I had a mentor who encouraged me to work on my communication skills and everything. And that's and that's one other question that I always like to ask our guests is you mentioned sometimes that you, we we don't know what we are doing, especially young career people like me. And when we start grad school or we when we start undergrad, and I always like to point out how important it is to find a mentor for your career. And I, I like to ask our our guests to comment about it and to encourage young people who are listening to us to try to find one because they are actually the person who is going to shape you during your your whole career. So I know that you had really good mentors and you are a good mentor. So what is the best advice that you have when people are looking for some? Find somebody who's willing to spend time with you. At the end of the day, that's a big part of the boil down. So when I was an undergraduate at Penn State, I worked in the lab of, of Dr. Harold Harpser, who's nutritionist and a phenomenal nutritionist. And I spent a lot more one-on-one time with with his lab tech, uh, Viv Baumer, than I spent with Dr. Harpster. But Dr. Harpster would always just pop in the lab just to see how I was doing, even in my personal life, not just about making sure that I had the data done that he needed, but but just check in with me, just visit. Um, And he did the same thing when I returned to Penn State. He just stopped by my office just to see how I was doing. Dr. McDowell, uh, I remember being frustrated by this at the time, but now I understand how much I learned. When I was a master's student and I would write the first draft of my lit review or the first draft of my paper, Dr. McDowell would sit me down at the conference room table next to him and get out his red pencil, always a red pencil, never a red pen, and start going line by line through my writing. And he would talk to me 
the entire time he was editing my writing and tell me exactly why he was editing and what he was writing. And I really think because of Dr. McDowell, I became a much better writer. Dr. Lurch would always sit down with me and and just have a conversation. He wanted me to be able to converse about beef cattle nutrition. And and so whether it, we were traveling on an airplane to a conference or or whether we were at the feedlot waiting to collect the next rumen sample, he would just sit for hours and talk to me about beef cattle nutrition and about why this happened or why I thought this happened. And it wasn't that there was always an answer. It wasn't that there was always an article that I needed to be pointing to that, that proved this theory or not. He genuinely wanted to know what I thought and why I thought it. And it was that aspect of time. It was just that aspect of time. All of my mentors throughout my career, I credit to my personal life as well, but particularly Dr. Lurch and his wife, Karen, they just made me a part of the family. And, and they did that with, with all the graduate students. We were invited for, for holidays. We were invited for weekends. We were brought into their home and treated like a member of the family. And I think grad school is so stressful, right? There's, there's so much time that we're working nights and weekends and long hours. But when, when you remember that, that somebody truly cares that you're doing that, it doesn't matter that you're working nights and weekends and long hours. I remember the first Christmas as a master's student. I was newly married, six months married. It was my first Christmas ever going to be away from home. And Dr. McDowell came in about the week before Christmas and he said, Tara, you go home, get a flight, go home. You got to be back in three days, but go home for Christmas Day. Go home for Christmas Day. And that, I hadn't anticipated that. I figured I would be feeding lambs on Christmas Day. And the fact that he did that for me really meant a lot. It meant a lot to me that he was willing to, to give up his Christmas holiday so that I could see my family, that he knew I needed that. No, that's that's amazing. I, I won't keep talking about that, otherwise I'll get emotional <laughs> <laughs> just talking about this because... I, I felt the same from from you and Steve also. So it's it's important, and and I think it helps uh, students and and professionals in struggling times. It's, it's leading by example, and I think that's one of the, if not the best way to lead people, is looking in how your mentors treat people. And I think that's a good example. And, and you, I'm sure you, you picked that Absolutely. from them as well. Remembering, remembering the human element, right? I think I credit their empathy for me as a student to my ability to have empathy for farmers now in difficult situations. I think mm-hmm. um, that's part of the relationship building process. And, and empathy and sympathy are very different things. Empathy involves being able to feel with somebody else, right? And, and that's a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I think all of the advisors that I had remembered what it was like to be students, remembered what it was like to be young, and as such, were able to carry that empathy forward for their students. And that meant a great deal. It's a great point that you mentioned about the producers. We have to understand that the producer is That's also a human. Right. It's, it's not only a, a and, and also the farm worker. All of those people, they are, they are humans working the farm and they have feelings and they have family and they have people to interact. And that's something that we, we not everybody always understand that, that the farmers are people and they have to feed their family. And that's the most important thing for them. So, and that's nothing that we actually learn in class 
during grad school. There's no no psychology class that will actually teach you that part, right? <laughs> Psych 101 doesn't go there. Yes, it's it doesn't come close. <laughs> no, no, it, it's it's hard. Now that's a great Tara. I think that's that was a great story. Uh, just to finish up, I will want to ask a couple of questions so our listeners get to know a little bit more about you. You already talk a lot about your career, your amazing career, but those are things that are going to be quick answers and you can just say uh, what the first thing that comes to your mind. So the first thing that I like to ask is just a, a fun fact that happened during your career, or maybe grad school, or maybe being two weeks before giving birth to a child working <laughs> in a shoot in the collecting room and samples or something like that. I always like to ask what, what if you remember something fun that happened during during grad school that you would like to share with so, us? So, uh, shoot, two weeks before giving birth, three days before Addie was born, we implanted 300 head. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, true. <laughs> you know, so I was thinking about this question, Pedro, and I was remembering the first rumen samples that I ever took. I had never, um, you know, I, I'd done the rumen cannulation, so I'd seen inside the rumen, but but I was not fully prepared for the cough. I, I was feeding cattle very <laughs> high grain diets, a lot of distillers grains and frothy bloat was prominent. Um, they probably all would have died if they didn't have room and cannulas and God love them. And I opened up that first cannula and it must have tickled and that calf coughed. And I was bathed from head to toe, myself and the lab technician bathed from head to toe in rumen digesta. And, and, uh, we have the pictures to prove it. And, you know, it was, it was one of those moments that was just challenging, but at the same time, you couldn't help but laugh. Yes. I imagine John really liked that when he went back home. <laughs> my husband has always been supportive of my career, regardless of the smell that comes <laughs> along with it. <gasps> That's good. That's fun, Tara. Thank you. Uh, what is, what is your favorite food? I'm, I'm going to say a nice rare Delmonico. You can't go wrong there, right? And and maybe that's a little cliche for the beef gal to, to answer, but uh, it that's that's mm -hmm. truly one of my all-time favorites. Well, it's not a bad choice at all. <laughs> what is the song that usually plays on your radio or your car or you, you, maybe you listen to different things, but what is the type of song that you like to play? Yeah, university answer, it depends, right? It, it depends on yes. the mood. It depends on what I'm doing. Uh, if I'm doing cattle collections, it's almost always the Eagles. Uh, that just reminds me of my graduate student days. If I'm on a long drive to a meeting, usually the playlist starts with Rachel Platten's fight song. Can't go wrong. Yeah. One of the last questions, what is something that you know today that you would like to know the day that you were going to start your career, something that you learned over the years that you look back and said, mm, I wish I knew that 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, Pedro, I'm getting old now. 10 years ago, <laughs> I was out of grad school. I would say it's actually some advice I got early on. It was really good advice. I'm a list maker, right? I make, mm -hmm. make checklists every single day of my life. And I like those lists to be checked off that day. And I was getting to the office at 6 a.m. And, and leaving the office at, at 8 p.m. like I did as a graduate student. And I remember my advisor actually calling me the one evening. And my bet is he called my husband first. And my husband said I wasn't home. And it was about 8 o'clock at night. And I was just leaving the office. 
And he said, why? Why are you just leaving the office? It's eight o'clock at night. And I said, well, well, I didn't get everything on my list done. And, and I was really stressed out about the fact that I didn't get everything on my list done. And he said, Tara, your list will be there tomorrow. Go home, kiss your husband, take care of your baby. He said, those are the big things in life. And it's important to get the big things right. All the little stuff that we worry about when we're first starting out, not having enough money to travel, not, not um, wanting to, to leave and go somewhere. Don't, don't get trapped there. The money will come eventually. It'll come mm-hmm. eventually. It's not so bad to be poor. It's, <laughs> it's not so terrible. Instead, focus on the experiences. Focus on, on living in the moment. Put the damn phone down. Live in the moment. Um, and, and get out there and get some experiences. Awesome. That's, that's a great advice. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's a really good advice. Now to, to finish the, the one thing that I, I like to, that's the last question It's just, I am calling this the, the top tip and it's something that you, you would like to leave our listeners, maybe a book or a podcast or something that you, that you would like to share. Oh, I read this book and that changed my life. I, I listened to this podcast or I watched this movie, something that you would like to, to leave our listeners with before we, we hang out. So personally, I'm a book girl. I, I love to read. Picking one book is really hard for me. Everybody that wants to be beef cattle nutritionist should read the nutrient requirements of beef cattle. Hands down. Actually read it. Don't just look at the tables. Read the book. Every aspiring writer should read a copy of Strunk and White's Elements of Style and keep a copy on their desk. It, it's, it is hands down one of the best tools in, in learning how to write well. Kenneth Eng once wrote a book called Started Small and Just Got Lucky. And I had the pleasure of meeting Kenneth at a Plains Nutrition Conference once. And it just, his book encapsulated who he, he seemed to be. He was just uh, such an easy person to talk to. It was part autobiography, part U.S. cattle feeding history, and, and it was great. I borrowed that book from you, and it's an easy read, and you travel, for me, it was a traveling history of, of cattle in the U.S., and it, it's a great book. I, I really like that book. I'd recommend it to anyone. Last but not least, I'll say I've been reading a lot about racial injustice this year. I know this is a cattle call. It's not about racial injustice, but it it's still impacting our country in such a very real way. And I just finished a fictional piece called Small Great Things by Jody Picoult. And although it was a work of fiction, it was just a really phenomenal insight into the struggles that we as a society are, are still dealing with on a daily basis. And I think if you want to be a good person. You have to go beyond just beef cattle, beyond just nutrition, and you have to be a part of your society and aware of what's going on in your community. And this is just one of the topics that I think has has really been on my mind this year. It is. It, it's extremely important. Those are amazing tips. I, I will make sure that I will get the list of the books and and put in the description of, of this episode. Last but not least, Tara, how can we follow your work? Like I know Penn State website has a really good information. How can your producers or people around the country can get in, in touch with you? The website's honestly the best way. 
Pedro, it's extension.psu.edu. Um, all of my work there is published under the beef cattle site, um, or much of my work is published there. I'm old. I um, try to keep up with social media, but I'm terrible. I'm on Twitter, so I tend to, to tweet my extension articles and my programs as they come out. We hope to do much more. Uh, you know, the, the one good thing COVID has brought us is the ability to, to have dual purpose meetings where we can host both virtually and in person. And I hope to be able to share more of that nationwide uh, as we move forward this year. Awesome. That's great, Tara. Well, that's a pretty good call. I wasn't expecting less than that. I I hope our listeners enjoy and, and get inspired by your career and, and things that you, you have done and you are doing today. So I just want to thank you very much for spending your time today uh, in this call. And thank you, Tara. I appreciate that. I don't know if you have any final message, any final thoughts. I Thanks for having me, Pedro. It's it's great to, to be on with you, to see um, see the fruits of, of mentorship in my, my former student. You're, you're doing great things and I applaud your efforts. Thank you very much, Tara. I, I hope you guys enjoyed the call. If you guys want to send any question, feedback, please send an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com. Keep in touch and, and don't forget that it's, it's always a good time for a kettle call. Thank you, Tara. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.